You're listening to the Fix the Money, Fix the World show on the Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast Network. Here's your host, Luke Mikich. Hey, welcome back to the podcast, guys. I hope you're all doing well. Um, in today's little podcast, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. Instead of listening me interview someone else, you're actually going to be listening uh, to CK interview me because we're going to play the recording uh, from an interview that I did with Bitcoin Magazine discussing a recent article I wrote titled, Is This Bitcoin's Final Cycle? So a little bit of context for the interview. Um, I essentially wrote an article in reference to Bitcoin's traditional four-year halving cycle and why I actually think cycles have died and all the reasons that I think Bitcoin has fundamentally changed post the 2020 COVID uh, crash. I think the buyers that are in the Bitcoin market are fundamentally different. So I've kind of had this view for the past probably since late 2020 that the traditional four-year bull and bear market cycle is over. And that's pretty much what I wrote this article on. Um, I published it in November 2020, and I think, sorry, November 2021. And I think back then the price of Bitcoin was around 50K. And, you know, everybody was getting excited because Plan B stock to flow was moving perfectly in line. And I just essentially wrote the article saying, look, I think, Stock to flow is broken. I think cycles are broken. I think it's all broken. And so, I mean, a little bit more context uh, for the interview and the article, I suppose. Uh, In the article, I was comparing Bitcoin to emergent technologies uh, like the internet or the smartphone or podcasting platforms. And I kind of showed how all of these technologies get adopted in exponential waves. And I said, look, Bitcoin's the exact same thing. Uh, All technologies get adopted gradually, then suddenly. Um, And once an inflection point is reached on the adoption curve, um, the adoption happens very rapidly. And obviously, we're going to discuss that in a lot more detail in this interview and in the article. Um, So the premise of the article is I believe we're about to hit two inflection points in the coming years. One of those inflection points is with the debasement of fiat currency and uh, fiat money. I really do think we're at the kind of uh, suddenly phase when it comes to the the lifetime of fiat. And then the other inflection point that I think we're going to hit is the um, inflection point on Bitcoin's adoption curve. And I think when we hit both of those, uh, the world is going to change a lot more rapidly than most people think it will. Um, And obviously that's just part of human behavior we've got a recency bias we've got a normalcy bias um, we're not trained to think in these exponentials um, and then kind of the last major thing we touch on in the article is why i think bitcoin will hit 50 million dollars a coin before the end of this decade and again that's all due to um, us not being able we not being wired to think in uh, exponentials but we're going to get into all that um, in the article in the interview today um, I'll link the full article in the descriptions. Um, so if you guys want to kind of read along with the interview, um, you'll be able to see all the charts that CK, CK and I refer to. So I uh, hope you're going to enjoy this one. I'm probably going to break it down into a YouTube video in the coming days um, with all the charts on screen. So if you guys want me to do that, let me know in the comments below and maybe I can organize that and do that for you guys uh, next weekend. Um, again, massive thank you to Bitcoin Magazine for publishing the article and massive thank you to Christian for interviewing me. And of course, a massive thank you to today's show sponsor, Coinbase. Do you need Bitcoin support? Well, you can book a one-on-one video call with a Bitcoin pro on Coinbase Connect. You can ask questions about mining, self-custody, multi-sig, how to run a full node and how to set up the Lightning Network and how to accept Bitcoin payments. Simply go to coinbase.com select a pro and find a time when you're available. It's that simple. Learning about Bitcoin has never been easier. Luke, 
What is up, my man? Welcome back. And uh, I'm really excited to talk about your article that you published on Bitcoin Magazine. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. I'm pretty excited to get bullish and talk Bitcoin. Uh, just quickly on the deep dive. I'm a daily deep dive reader, and I think everybody should check it out. It's it's really good. It's really fascinating. Dylan absolutely smashes it, as well as the other guys over there that carry, um, look at macro and Bitcoin as well. It's a great read. Everyone, go sign up for the deep dive. I read it every single day as well. And again, we're going to be talking about some of the analysis in there. Uh, Luke, this article that you dropped on Bitcoin Magazine is a beast. And again, uh, us Bitcoiners are always bullish, even despite prices slumping today in the past uh, couple of weeks here. Um, I mean, we have I pretty much have the table of context pulled contents pulled up and the article pulled up. Do you want to just smash through this thing? Do you want to give an overview? How should we start this? Yeah, let's let's pick it apart any way you guys want to. I, I think it's important to always give a preface to start with. I don't have a fucking clue how hyper Bitcoinization is going to unfold. I'm just kind of putting this idea out here because I think a lot of people are under the impression that now that the the you know institutions are here, nation states are here, corporations are here, the common kind of consensus surrounding uh, cycles and the journey to hyper-Bitcoinization is that it's going to be less volatile now. It's all of this talk of lengthening cycles and lower volatility now that the big money's here. And I kind of put this thesis out out there because I think that's actually opposite to be true. I think generally the consensus gets absolutely murdered in the markets and it's always the uh, max pain trade that generally unfolds. So, yeah, let's let's pick it apart, CK. You know that I also subscribe to the max pain thesis and uh, even the thesis that maybe not this time, but eventually the Bitcoin cycle looks very different than how it's played out in the past. Um, so I'm really, uh, I'm really excited to get into this conversation. Um, I guess, you know, you, your table of contents is broken into uh, 10 different sections. The first is titled Exponential Technology in the Digital Age. Uh, do you want to just jump into that? Yeah, so like really broadly, I think we're transitioning into the digital age and absolutely everything is going to be digitized in our worlds. We've already seen that with the internet. Uh, we've seen that with obviously um, everything from emails, uh, from our MP3 players turning into uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Everything's going to be digitized and obviously money is going to be digitized. And obviously as a Bitcoiner, I think it's... Uh, Bitcoin, our money is going to be digitized through Bitcoin. And I think all of these technological adoptions like podcasting, uh, like the email, like the internet, they get adopted in these waves. Uh, generally, the first 10 years of a new technology emerging, it's only adopted by a very small subset of people. So like maybe uh, it takes 10 years for a technology to go from 0% adoption to like 10% adoption. But then it kind of reaches this inflection point. It reaches a critical mass. Um, it kind of it's, it's like a tipping point where the rest of the world, the other ninety percent of people, figure out that this technology is really important. It's going to change everybody's lives, and it's almost like a FOMO. Everybody looks around, and they, they um, if you've got ten friends, one of your friends using an email or the new podcasting app or the new Apple iPhone, and it's almost a rush. So. 
It takes essentially 10 years to go from 0 to 10% adoption, but then it takes the same amount of time to go from 10 to 90% um, adoption. Um, so I think Bitcoin's been alive for, what is it, 12 to 13 years now. I think about 1% of the world has bought some Bitcoin, and I think we're about to enter the inflection point. You could even say that the first three years, there wasn't even a price. So we're at 10 years with the price. Exactly. It's, it's almost too perfect. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I tend to agree with you in terms of, I just think that all of the Bitcoin adoption happens this decade. And, and I know that that's a popular opinion amongst some, that's an unpopular opinion amongst others. Um, you know, Bitcoiners tend to quibble about, you know, how hyper-Bitcoinization kind of unfolds. Uh, but I tend to kind of agree that, you know, like I think in the bell curve and the S curve and, and that kind of ways to look at tech adoption. And um, I tend to, you know, again, agree that with your higher thesis, which is our overarching thesis that, you know, this thing is going to happen in a, like volatility is going to increase not decrease as all this money starts to pour in. Yeah, well, that's the really, that's the interesting thing. Like a lot of people say, oh, Bitcoin's really volatile. Um, but you've got to think only 1% of the world has bought some Bitcoin. And out of that 1% of the world, not even all of them have, you know, converted 100% of their savings into Bitcoin. Like that's the logical endpoint. Everybody has 100% of their savings in Bitcoin. You know, money is a winner take all. We've got $900 trillion of money out there around the world. And my base case thesis is that $900 trillion flows into Bitcoin, the best savings technology uh, we've ever discovered as yeah, as a human species. So, um, and that's where, um, so the, the path to get there, like people are saying, oh, Bitcoin's been really volatile for the first 12 years. Well, I'm looking at it and only 1% one, 1 of the world's bought some Bitcoin. What's imagine how volatile Bitcoin's going to get when the other ninety nine percent of the world start fomoing to fomoing into Bitcoin, and that's where you start to get to the talk of super cycles. Because um, I think if you if you have a look at Bitcoin's TAM, that nine hundred trillion dollars, um, I did like some maths on this in the article as well. Um, I took a really conservative estimate and I said, hey, look, if half of that uh, nine hundred trillion dollars flows into Bitcoin. Uh, we've got a very conservative 3x multiplier effect for every dollar that has flowed into Bitcoin um, over the past five years. There's, this multiplier effect essentially shows that there's a 3x multiple. So for every dollar that flows into Bitcoin, it has a 3x uh, impact on, on the market cap just because not all the Bitcoins are for sale. So this kind of ties into the thesis of um, there's just not enough coins for the rest of the people to go around. So, um, so if you've got like $900 trillion, half of that flows into Bitcoin with a 3x multiplier, it gives you a base case to look at. And, you know, the uh, price of Bitcoin in my eyes should be worth somewhere around $65 million in today's dollars. So that's before purchasing power. And obviously that's going to get distorted as we go through global hyperinflation. But um, yeah, the path to go from $60,000 to $64 million, I just don't think it's going to be in a straight line with these four-year diminishing cycles that people keep claiming. I think it's much more likely that we go for a super cycle type event um, and, and Bitcoin 
kind of breaks all of these quote-unquote models like stock to flow and these rainbow charts to the upside on its journey to 64 million uh ish you know dollars per bitcoin so can you explain a little bit about the 64 million ish dollars for bitcoin that you just quoted is that just 21 million divided by um the global i guess global savings yeah, so I had a look at the, the $900 trillion assets first. So you've got like a $350 trillion real estate market, a $100 trillion bond market. You've got $90 trillion of equities. I think I took an estimate that half of that's being used as a store of value, um, de facto equivalent. You've got like a $300 trillion debt market. So I just added up pretty much all the money in the world minus the derivatives. I didn't look at the derivatives. I was I was being extra conservative in the piece so I didn't scare off too many people. Um, I just assumed that derivatives will liquidate um, as we transition from um, a, a fractionally reserved debt-based system to an equity-based system on Bitcoin. So it's $900 trillion of money. I, I took a very conservative estimate. I said half of that's going to flow into Bitcoin. Um, and then I had a look at the the amount of Bitcoins actually available for sale. So that's, that's where you, that 3x multiplier comes in. Um, and essentially, yep. like, yeah, like out, out of the coins that are actually for sale every day, um, only like four and a half million of the coins are actually circulated and trading on exchanges or even in the hands of short-term holders. So that's kind of where the 3x multiplier comes in. So um, essentially like 13 million of the um, 18 million coins that have been mined to date, they're, they're just sitting in the hands of long-term holders who haven't haven't touched those coins in years. So that's where the 3x multiplier comes in. So I just went 450 trillion times three. I think it gave you a market cap of like 1.3 quadrillion dollars. Um, and then you divide that by the 21 million and that gets you to a $64 million Bitcoin. Wow. That is some moon math right there. And uh, But at the same time, like it makes sense and... Really, if you think about what Bitcoin is doing, the TAM of Bitcoin, it's like all store of value, right? Um, it's all global store of value. And, um, you know, what is competing with Bitcoin? It's it's monies, it's savings, but it's, it's pretty much anything else, any other asset that is used to store value um, outside of, you know, productive capital, right? Just park your value in this thing. Like Bitcoin is trying to is trying to outcompete whatever else we're using. Yeah, like money's a winner take all. And when I say all the money in the world is going to flow into Bitcoin, a lot of people call me fucking crazy. But that's that's just what money has done for the past five thousand years. Every time a better money comes along, whether it's seashells transitioning to gold or you know copper to gold, whatever it is, all all the money flows to the best store of value. So. I just, I, I just, I think it's pretty. I think it's pretty conservative to say most of the or half of the store of value money around the world flows to Bitcoin. And I, I think things get crazy too when this transitions happening. Obviously, the prices are going to be very distorted because of hyperinflation and, and you know that that's coming down the pipelines. That's why I always try to picture it in today's dollars. Um, and so that's where I say if the fair value is sixty four million. 
I think things are going to get really, really weird. People are going to be speculative, speculatively attacking um, the dollar and fiats as Bitcoin's approaching that 50, 60, 100 million dollar per coin. And I actually think it's going to overshoot its fair value by a lot because it'll be the consensus trade that nobody's selling Bitcoin. It, it's going to be an absolute scramble for Bitcoin. Um, like literally you're going to have every single person on planet earth understand that they need to own some Bitcoin and they're going to be selling absolutely everything they own to get their hands on Bitcoin. Um, I think in the piece I said, um, the narrative surrounding the 2017 Bitcoin bull market was, oh, I'm just going to sell my Bitcoin to buy, buy Lambo, bro. And I think I joked around that I said, I wouldn't be surprised if the narrative in 2022, this coming cycle, is people people are reversing that trade and they're actually selling their Lambos to buy some Bitcoin. Um, that I think that just, just kind of highlights the psychology that I, that I expect people around the world to feel as Bitcoin's climbing and reaching, reaching its somewhere closer towards its fair value. People are going to be selling everything. They're going to be selling, I think they're going to be selling real estate that they own in a property portfolio at significant discounts. They're going to be selling Lambos. They're going to be selling stocks. It's, it's just, it's going to be, it's going to be consensus that they need to own Bitcoin. Yeah, you know, I talk to Bitcoin Tina a lot, and I know you do as well, but um, him and I have discussed a very similar idea, which is just, you know, right now, Bitcoin is a quote-unquote unpopular trade, but by the time people have decided that, you know, Bitcoin is a consensus store of value, that, like, kind of inflection point um, is going to be absolutely wild. And again, like, I think a lot of people are underestimating how quickly that can happen. Uh, there's a lot of macroeconomic things that are happening that are, you know, pushing that or expediting that potentially as well. Um, to kind of, you know, pivot back to your piece, um, part your part two and three, you talk about the S curve and the dumbbell uh, or the adoption bell curve. Uh, you also talk about, uh, like this J curve associated with Bitcoin's monetization. Um, I think that these are some of the most like bullish as well as helpful mental models to you to use in trying to understand what Bitcoin hyper Bitcoinization is going to like evolve into. Um, do you want to get into these concepts and these charts? Yeah, definitely. Uh, firstly, I think I, I linked the video you did with uh, Bitcoin Tina titled uh, the, the, the hardest trade. That's the one. Everybody should definitely go and watch that video. That's probably some of the most bullish videos I've seen. And I think I've watched the four part series you did with Tina back in 2019 or 2020. I think I've watched that series three times. That's phenomenally bullish. Um, and I think, yeah, Tina's had a really big impact on how I kind of see all of this unfolding. So everybody should go and check that out. Um, but yeah, the J curve thesis is something that Knut's fun home actually, um, brought up over a year ago. Funny enough, I actually interviewed Canute yesterday for my podcast, so I, I'm still feeling a little bit bullish after talking to him. But the idea of a J curve is um, we talked about the S curve earlier, and technologies um, as, after you go after the after all the world's onboarded onto Bitcoin, the S curve is kind of flat. So I encourage everybody to pull up. Um, a chart of an S-curve, and you can see it levels off as you reach 90 and 100% adoption. Um, everybody's adopted Bitcoin. You've got no one else to adopt it, so naturally the, the chart flattens out. But because Bitcoin's a monetary asset or a monetary network, 
um, the kind of thesis is the price of Bitcoin's never going to level out. It's it's never actually going to flatten out at a hundred percent quote unquote adoption. Um, and this kind of gets into um, talking about how a Bitcoin standard is going to be different. Um, so once everybody's got all of their savings in Bitcoin, you've got 100% of your savings in Bitcoin, a lot of people think, okay, we're just going to hang out at that $64 million price. That's the fair value of Bitcoin. All the money in the world has flowed into Bitcoin. It's just going to, it's just going to um, be boring. This is another consensus trade that I like to pick holes in. People say, yeah, on a Bitcoin standard, Bitcoin's going to be really boring. It's going to be really low volatility. It's not going to do anything. It's just going to chill out at $64 million a coin or whatever each person in the audience thinks it's worth in the future. It's just going to chill out there and it's going to be a stable, quote-unquote, store of value. But if you're on a Bitcoin standard, as the globe's GDP is growing at, say, if, if the GDP is growing at 5% or 10%, or 15 or 20 percent all of that new kind of productive capacity that's that's obviously so that's newly created wealth and that newly created wealth is going to be stored in a store of value so i think if the gdp is rising at 10 or 20 percent a year bitcoin is also rising at 10 to 20 percent a year and i i actually think um the gdp could be rising a lot more than that just because of a lot of the kind of um, the unlocking of entrepreneurial investments that could happen on a Bitcoin standard. So like right now on a fiat standard, I think there are so many investors and inventors and entrepreneurs out there that aren't going out there and starting businesses just because there's so many regulations associated with the fiat system. Like you've got all of these egregious tax laws, you've got all of these regulations, capital gains taxes, you've got all of this. And on a Bitcoin standard, all of that's going to be stripped away. It's not going to be stripped away, but I think it's going to be diminished to a pretty large degree. Um, as we separate the money from state, the state is naturally going to decrease in size. So I think the regulations are going to decrease in size. Um, I think the monopolies are going to decrease in size and I think that's going to incentivize the everyday investor or entrepreneur to come out there and be more productive with their capital like they should be. And I think that's going to grow GDP at 10, 15, 20, 25, even 30% a year and all of that accrues to Bitcoin. So Bitcoin's going to continue to be rising on a Bitcoin standard. It's not going to chill out at $65 million a coin. It'll be 65 the next year, it could be 70. The year after that, it could be $80 million a coin. And the year after that, it could be worth $90 million a coin. So that's kind of the thesis of the J curve. It just goes up forever, the price of Bitcoin, because the world's going to continue to grow. So I, I've talked to Newt about this as well, and he kind of has this idea of where, like, you can't even use Bitcoin as a currency because it's going to go up forever. But the reality is that Bitcoin is priced in only 100 million Satoshis. So in a world where just like that is the unit and there's not like this thing like dollars or whatever that's that's useful for measuring it. Um, I feel like that increase in price, that's just growth, right? That's just GDP growth in terms of like how that's reflected in the price of Bitcoin. 
Yeah, it's really interesting. He's kind of joked around and said Bitcoin's price would be so volatile in a Bitcoin standard that you might need to price things in uh, in, in uh, jugs of milk or, or terawatt hours or something that's more stable than Bitcoin. I'm not sure how I feel about whether Bitcoin is the unit of account on a Bitcoin standard. I'm kind of, I don't have a really strong opinion on that. Um, I think if the price of Bitcoin is rising at greater than 20 to 30% a year, I think that could be a little bit too difficult to use Bitcoin as a unit of account because that would mean that goods and uh, the, the goods in the economy are decreasing at 20% a year compared to your Bitcoin. So your Bitcoin's buying you 20% extra goods and services every year. Or um, your, your Bitcoin are capturing the value of the growth in the economy better and actually reflecting that accurately. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a really interesting thought experiment. Um, I, I don't have a really strong opinion on whether Bitcoin will be the unit of account or not, but it, it'll be I do. really weird. I do. Yeah, what you- it, and it, and it, my opinion is that it will, and that the whole point of Bitcoin is that it's perfect communication in terms of communicating value because it's an uncensorable um, you know, unit that people can reference. I can't wait for things to be priced in stats. It'll be a beautiful day, CK. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's also touched on uh, what was the other part of that question earlier. I, I was just rambling. I was off on a tangent. You have to feel free to rein me in. I, I can rant and rave for ages on these spaces. No, totally, totally. And uh, I mean, I just I love this. I love getting cosmic on Bitcoin, right? Like, what what does it look like for Bic- for you know the world to kind of like transition into this Bitcoin mentality? Um, but we, I, I was just talking about, you know, parts two and three is about the S curve, the, the adoption bell curve and the J curve, like you called it the Bitcoin monetary J curve. So I just wanted you to tease those things out. Yeah. So the, the J curve is the idea that we're going to go up forever, essentially, Laura. Um, and then, and then the bell curve just shows the percentage of people um, that have adopted uh, Bitcoin. So essentially, with less than 1% adoption of Bitcoin, it places you at like three standard deviations to the left, I think. Um, And generally, when you're going up, there's a really nice chart that I found um, that I put in the article and it has the S-curve overlaid with the bell curve. Um, That gives you a really good visualization of what we're talking about, but it just shows um, that the masses, so the large majority of people, 60 to 70%, um, they pretty much all adopt Bitcoin um, in a, as you're going up the steepest part of the S-curve. So you, you call them the early majority and the late majority. Uh, they're the 34% on either side um, of the bell curve. So they're one standard deviation to the left and one standard deviation to the right. Um, and they're obviously, they're, they're the meat of the people. They're the, obviously the majority, the 68%. Um, and I, I think they're going to flood into Bitcoin um, all in the space of a you know, couple of years as it becomes obvious that um, we're going up the S-curve of Bitcoin. That's something else I touched on in the piece as well, actually. Um, here's another tangent, sorry. Um, so with these S-curves before, um, so as we're adopting smartphones, as we're adopting uh, the internet, as we're adopting podcast, uh, podcasting platforms, as you're going up the S-curve and as you're going from um, 10% adoption to 90% adoption, 
it's been really hard to kind of track and put a number on how rapidly that adoption is actually occurring. But because Bitcoin's like a monetary asset, you can directly track, um, like as more and more of the value is flowing into Bitcoin, you can you can directly see that price of Bitcoin rising. And as you're going up the steepest part of the S curve. You, you're gonna see you're gonna see weeks where Bitcoin's printing six figure candles and it's just going up at a hundred thousand dollars week after week after week as you're getting as you just gapping up as Bitcoin Tina calls it from a price of like five hundred thousand to five million dollars. I, I think you're gonna do something like that. That's how I see a super cycle unfolding. By the way, I think you're gonna see it. Um, jump from 500k to something like two to three million dollars a coin all in the space of two to three months so as you're doing that and as you're going up the s curve every single week you're going to see like a six uh, a six figure candle a hundred thousand dollars week after week after week and you kind of um, because Bitcoin's a monetary asset, you can directly track each small increment of adoption that's going on with Bitcoin because you're going to see the price plastered on billboards. It's going to be plastered all over CNBC with Andrew Ross Salk. And- it already is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I like to remind people that we, we are actually living in hyper-Bitcoinization. Like, this is what it looks like. It's just going to get more intense. I use that direct quote. Um, I quoted you in the article. It's a fucking. I love that. Um, we're just like exactly. And uh, what? What's? There's another quote as well. The future's already here. It's just not evenly distributed. Like I think Bitcoin's already won. We're just watching all of the the logical events unfold. And I think since 2020, you've really watched kind of these events really accelerate. Uh, like I see 2020 is kind of like this kind of inflection point um so this maybe gets into talking about the supply the um supply and demand dynamics um maybe i'm going um a little bit early on this one but like just hit it just smash it yeah yes i mean for for the first so a lot of uh, like I'm saying things in Bitcoin have changed and a lot of people are like, show me the data, show me the data. The price is still being the same. The price isn't doing anything differently. What are you talking about? You're a nutcase. Um, and I always point them to one chart and it's coins on exchanges. Um, for the first time in Bitcoin's 12 years, uh, coins have actually been leaving exchanges. So all the way from 2009 or 10 um, to 2020, Coins would flow to the exchanges. People were selling Bitcoin. They weren't really hodling Bitcoin. The whales were distributing Bitcoin on every uh, bull market. But then in 2020 happened and you had the government mandated lockdowns that caused the stock market crash. Um, You actually saw an inflection point where coins actually started leaving exchanges for the first time in Bitcoin's 12-year or 10-year history. And um, it's kind of like it's been in a macro downtrend since then. So since March of 2020, I think the amount of coins on exchanges peaked out at 3.2 million coins, roughly. And since then, um, we've actually watched 30% of the available coins on exchanges for sale uh, flow to the hands of long-term holders. Oh, ball squeak, I'm still 12. <laughs> but you've, you've watched this macro downtrend of coins. And right now today, 
there's like 2.3 million coins on on exchanges available for sale. So I think 2020 was an inflection point. I think the money printing um, was a massive kind of wake-up call for a lot of people around the world. Michael Saylor probably been the best example of it. Um, he's also a great example of how billionaires are going to FOMO. Um, like, I mean, he's the CEO of a publicly traded company. And the amount of interviews where he describes how he was panicked to buy Bitcoin um, when he figured it out, I think that's really um, interesting. And I think it kind of highlights the fact that the, these billionaires, they will FOMO. They're going to FOMO and it's going to get really, really volatile. It's going to get weird because it doesn't matter if you've got $250 billion of a melting ice cube sitting on your balance sheet like Tim Cook does at Apple. Um, when you take the orange pill and you actually understand it and you stop using the shitty little words like crypto and you understand it's Bitcoin only like Michael Saylor has, you're going to ape into Bitcoin. You're going to FOMO into Bitcoin and you're going to buy as many coins as you can. And I think we're watching since 2020, you're, you're watching these billionaires and these long-term holders slowly accumulate Bitcoin, drain it off exchanges. Um, and I think that's the metric I look at um, when predicting when the super cycle is going to occur. Over 18 months, coins on exchanges have gone from 3.2 million to 2.3 million. I think as that continues to drain and as you can, can continue to see those coins move to the hands of long-term holders and you get down to 1.5 million coins on exchanges, 1 million coins on exchanges, people are going to start freaking out because... Like these these guys, um, so Bitcoin's really interesting. It kind of it plays into the psychology and just natural human greed of people. These billionaires like Elon Musk, uh, Tim Cook, uh, what's his name, Bug Boy, uh, Soy Boy, what's his name, Bill Gates, all of these quote unquote richest people around the world. They want to stay the richest people around the world on a Bitcoin standard. And if we're moving to a world where Bitcoin's priced at $50 million a coin and Michael Saylor has 120,000 coins, that means Michael Saylor is going to be climbing up the leaderboard on the world's richest people. And the only way for these billionaires to actually stay richer than Michael Saylor is to accumulate a Bitcoin position the same size as Michael Saylor. So if, he, if Michael Saylor has 100,000 coins... That means you're going to get to a moment where Tim Cook and Bug Boy, uh, Soy Boy, Bill Gates is looking at Michael Saylor climb up the leaderboard of the world's richest man. He's going to be coming hot on their heels and they're going to have to try and accumulate a, a, a size or a stake in Bitcoin the same size as Michael Saylor just to keep up with him. So that means they're going to have to try and buy 100,000 coins. But if there's if coins if there's only five hundred thousand or a million coins on exchanges actually available for sale, how the hell are they going to get that position? Um, and I think that's where that's where it's going to get really interesting and weird in the next twelve months. So Michael Saylor total stash versus uh, amount of total amount of coins on exchanges will be an interesting uh, thing to monitor. Yeah, 100%. Um, because right now, uh, 30% of the coins have left exchanges. I sound like a broken record. But if there's only 2.3 million coins on exchanges, and if Michael Saylor has roughly you know, 100,000 coins, 
that means you can only have 23 other people around the world who can tomorrow go out there and accumulate a a size, the same size position that Michael Saylor holds. Um, So I think as coins continue to dwindle and as you get down to 1.5 million, 1 million coins on exchanges, these billionaires could could start FOMOing into Bitcoin just because they're greedy and they don't want to um, be overshadowed by Michael Saylor on a Bitcoin standard. I mean, I have to say some of the most interesting commentary on Bitcoin is Michael Saylor's commentary. And when he first got onto the scene, some of the very first podcasts he did, he talked about those first moments about not being able to sleep um, because he was like, oh, my God, what happens if everyone else discovers this and FOMOing that hard? So, um, you know, obviously he is a unique beast in himself, but um you know i i have no doubt that other very rich people as this continues to progress will come to this realization and i would say the majority of money on the planet still doesn't get um what bitcoin's gonna do and you know just a case in point is most bitcoiners don't aren't bullish enough on what bitcoin's gonna do so um if the the people who study this thing the closest you know maybe are bearish uh, imagine the people who are no coiners are just, you know, casually involved. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think Bitcoin's the most asymmetric bet uh, in human history still today. Uh, I think Foss, the boss, Greg Foss talks about this right now. Bitcoin's a better risk reward trade today at $65,000 than it was three to four years ago. Uh, like in 2017, before you saw the block size wars, uh, like the the asymmetry is still involved with Bitcoin at today's price. It's it's still ridiculous. Like if Bitcoin's going to go to 65 million dollars a coin in today's purchasing power, that's a thousand x from today. So I, I always say this to people who who are gambling on shit coins and altcoins, and they're saying, "Oh no, I'm looking for the next hundred x. I'm looking for the next thousand x." Bitcoin's too expensive. It doesn't have any upside left in it. I always say no, 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 no. Every single dollar you put into Bitcoin today, that that dollar is going to be worth a thousand dollars on a Bitcoin standard. So people who say it's too late to Bitcoin, people who say um, there's no upside left in Bitcoin, I, I just I throw that math at them. I, I think it's so so early, and Bitcoin's so ridiculously underpriced at sixty thousand dollars a pop. So, I mean, I hear you and I believe what you're saying. And I, you know, from an investment perspective, you know, am aligned that way. But on the flip side, you know, people are, are indiscriminately allocating uh, into any asset and uh, every asset is mooning. And, um, you know, obviously altcoins and NFTs and all those things like fit into the trend of all assets mooning. Um, when is that going to end? And, and what is, I guess, like, what does that look like in your mind in terms of like that light bulb switching from just indiscriminately allocating to anything that's not fiat to, oh my God, I have to get Bitcoin. Yeah. I love this question. This is great. Um, I think, I think, uh, shit coins, this is where the shitcoin traders are going to get really burned because they, they're, they're thinking, 
um, all the way along the transition to a Bitcoin standard. I'm just going to continue flipping JPEGs and buying pre-mined securities like Ethereum um, that quote-unquote outperform Bitcoin in bull markets. Um, I think all that flips and all that changes uh, when Bitcoin goes for a super cycle. I think when Bitcoin... Uh, breaks these quote-unquote models like stock to flow to the upside. So I think if you get to a... Uh, and, and when Bitcoin... When the coins on exchanges uh, significantly diminish and decrease, when these billionaires start to FOMO into Bitcoin, these these billionaires, I don't think they're going to be FOMOing into JPEGs and fucking centralized shit coins like Ethereum and Solana and Algorand and all that other rubbish out there. Um, I, I think... I, I think they're only going to be FOMOing into Bitcoin. I think Michael Saylor is a great example. I think a 170-year-old uh, conservative pension fund like Mass Mutual, I think they're a really good example. They they bought hundreds of millions of dollars of Bitcoin. I didn't see them flipping JPEGs. Um, I think as you see the masses of the wealthy start FOMOing into Bitcoin, and when Bitcoin does this great repricing that Tina talks about, uh, where Bitcoin gaps from 500k to like two to three million dollars a coin, I think that's the old crap moment. I think that's where liquidity is absolutely drained from the altcoin market, and I think it it, it flows so quickly into Bitcoin that a lot of people are going to be left holding the bag of these uh, these shit coins. Um, I think DeFi is a really great example. I think um, I shared a report the other day from Chainalysis showing that they had a look at the 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 uh, the volume and the transactions and the actors in the DeFi space over the past two years, and ninety five percent of the volume and trading activities um, actually happening from. Uh, large institutions, institutions, and professional money. So they're all just in there, you know, flipping shit coins, farming the next 4,000% APY yield. They're all just in there passing hot potatoes around in this DeFi market. And I think, I think when they leave that market and flow to Bitcoin, when it's going through this kind of repricing event, the first repricing event to you know, one to two to three million dollars a coin. I think liquidity is just going to get sucked out of the altcoin market. Um, I think that's when the oh shit moment happens. And that happens soon. That's what you're saying. Yeah, I think it's the next 12 months. Um, in the piece, I... I give it about a 30% probability. I sound like I've got splinters in my ass and I'm hedging here, but I, I'm not, I'm not. I, I think it's probably about a 30% probability that it happens in the next six months. Um, and I also said... Six months? Yeah. yeah 12 yeah. months or six months? I'm going to say six months. And then the further you go out, the higher those probabilities rise. I think this event um, happens before 2023 and before that halving cycle. If I had to put a probability on that, I'd slap a probably 70 or an 80% probability that we're at a million dollars a coin before the 2024 halvings even begun. Oh, baby. All right. Well, I hope your, uh, your, uh, your orb is, is giving you all the right answers here, Luke, and, and uh, I hope you're right. In terms of, you know, talking about moon math, super cycles, I feel like we hit on a lot of these these things. Um, I guess in terms of the actual article, um, 
hit us with some other details in there. It's a quite quite a lengthy article um, in terms of what's important to kind of understand um, the rationale behind, you know, Bitcoin taking a massive leg out in, I would say, you know, a year's time. Um, yeah, so this is kind of, um, it, it, this is like kind of part three in like a series of articles uh, where I looked at lots of different catalysts that I believe are going to cause Bitcoin to go through hyper-Bitcoinization much sooner than people expect. So in this article, I only really looked at uh, Bitcoin through the lens of it being a technology and I only really looked at it um, just from kind of the supply and demand dynamics. I think another really big reason for why Bitcoin's going to go through this super cycle a lot sooner than people think is because of these other catalysts that I touched on in part one and part two of the article series that's on Medium. So obviously the first one being the the unraveling of the 75 to 100 year long-term debt cycle. I think um, with the Fed coming out and printing trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars of confetti paper um, in March of 2020, I think it's become really clear that that's how they're going to try and delever this um, absolute debt bomb. Um, like it's it's becoming clear to most people around the world that it's it's mathematically assured that the fiat system is going to collapse. Um, I always throw this um, I always throw this report around, but Hirschman Capital uh, did a report in 2020, and it showed. Out of all the countries since the year 1800 that have accumulated a debt-to-GDP ratio greater than 130%, 51 out of 52 of those sovereign nations um, ended up defaulting on that debt. And generally, when you've got a magic money printer, the way you default on that debt is you just pin interest rates artificially low with like yield curve control. Um, and you just um, you kind of you merge the Fed and the Treasury and you just let the treasury uh, run massive fiscal deficits and just um, essentially inflate away the debt. Um, and it, it kind of, we've got an exact blueprint for this in the 1940s at the conclusion of that long-term debt cycle. Essentially, th this is another whole tangent and another whole fucking article, but essentially I think we're going to be seeing a, a decade of high inflation at um, 10 to 15%. This is not transitory. I've been calling it out since bloody uh, mid-2020 when inflation first started popping up. People were screaming transitory. I said, this is not transitory. This is the beginning of a macro secular shift in inflation. And this is how they're going to inflate away the debt. Um, but the only thing is, in the 1940s, where they ran... Um, inflation at above 10 and 15% for a decade. Um, what they did was in the 40s, there was no escape. There was no exit valve for the everyday person to store their wealth in because they banned gold in the 1933 um, and they and pretty much um, forced people to hold bonds and treasuries and uh, cash. So the everyday person didn't have an escape. Um, and the reason that didn't cause hyperinflation was because obviously you got the Bretton Woods Agreement in 1944 and we were still kind of on a quasi-gold uh, standard after kind of moving away from it um, in the uh, 1913 with the Fed and then obviously um, you had to pay for World War One. That's another whole tangent. But this time around, right, um, this time around at the conclusion of this long-term debt cycle, 
um, you a you have an exit valve and it's Bitcoin. And when people figure it out, they're gonna when people figure out this is a ten year period of inflation and there's no way out on on the global debt crisis. There's an exit valve in Bitcoin and people are gonna use it. Um, and uh, and another thing that's different this time and why I think we're going to see hyperinflation is because at the conclusion of this long-term debt cycle, you're not on a gold standard. So in the 1940s, you were kind of moving away from a gold standard, but you still kind of had that um, that gold standard to fall back on. And then obviously 1971, you moved further away from the gold standard by straight up cutting um, straight up cutting the peg to gold and every single uh, fiat currency around the world for the first time in human history was was a free, freely floating fiat Ponzi. So like the previous 50 years is an absolute experiment and as people come to the understanding that this experiment is failing, the global debt crisis is blowing up, uh, this is the conclusion of a long-term debt cycle and the next step for every single currency around the world is hyperinflation, people are going to use the exit valve. Uh, so that was that was a tangent and that was a lot, I'm sorry, but that was one catalyst that I touched on in another piece um, that is going to trigger uh, hyper-Bitcoinization. Um, and just to kind of build on that, uh, on I do a show called FedWatch with Ansel Lindner, who's a great uh, macro analyst, um, and he talks about you know, why would people go to Bitcoin over going to the dollar um, as, you know, their their fiat fails, right? And the reality is that most contracts are denominated in dollars. So dollar strengthening is like net bad for everyone other than maybe dollar holders and Americans. Um, but like if your contracts are denominated in dollars, and you're strengthening the dollars, then you you theoretically are also just owing more on your liabilities. So there is a strategic advantage of flowing into Bitcoin because no one's contracts are denominated in Bitcoin. Um, so it is a release valve per se, but it's also, you know, has the added benefit of being detached from the existing monetary system. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. There's no counterparty risk. Um, I, I, this is actually kind of touching on my next article that I'm probably going to push out next week. And it's kind of building on the dollar milkshake theory by Brent Johnson. Um, I'm going to call it the, the Bitcoin milkshake theory if nobody's already taken that title. Uh, that title. I haven't looked yet. Um, and it's kind of it's building on some other great articles. Mark Goodwin, um, he's from Bitcoin Magazine, I believe. He's written a really good article about the Bitcoin dollar. Um, and it's kind of talking about how the dominoes are going to fall um, in this kind of, um, because you kind of touched on the euro dollar system then. And I think that's really important to watch in kind of predicting how the currencies are all going to fail around the world. Um, obviously the US dollar is going to be the last currency to hyperinflate because of the way, um, that the global financial system was structured in Bretton Woods 2.0. Like you said, there's all this US dollar debt around the world. Um, and I think, eventually people will realize that they don't want to hold the US dollar and it's going to be Bitcoin. But in the meantime, all of these smaller emerging markets that adopt Bitcoin, while it's at $1 million a coin or $5 million a coin or $10 million a coin, um, Bitcoin's not going to be stable enough to use it as a uh, kind of 
a, a pricing a pricing mechanism or a unit of account. Um, I've got to give credit to Hoddle Magoo, also known as Magooch, um, and Shinobi as well. They kind of got me onto this thinking uh, recently, so credit's where credit's due. But these countries that adopt Bitcoin in the early stages of hyper-Bitcoinization, they're probably also going to have to adopt the US dollar to use as a stable pricing mechanism as we kind of move through the most volatile um, stages of this S-curve adoption in Bitcoin. And that's actually going to strengthen the US dollar. Um, so that's going to put more and more pressure on these emerging markets around the world. Um, and I think, yeah, I think that's going to be really interesting to kind of watch all that play out. Yeah, there's uh, some footage from the recent Senate hearings uh, from yesterday, I, I believe, where one of the senators was like kind of like realizing and discussing with the experts that they had called um, about how um, all the stablecoin issuers are pegging to the dollar and how that doesn't actually compete with the dollar, but it's actually like a vote of confidence in the dollar standard. Uh, Sailor also talks about this as well, which, which, which is uh, the fact that there's going to be a digital wallet. That digital wallet will have Bitcoin and digital dollars. So uh, I feel like these pieces are in play. And personally, when I hear, you know, analysts talking about CBDCs, like I'm so bearish on CBDCs, like I'm bearish on any other monetary standard other than dollars and Bitcoin, uh, just because it's going to be really hard to bootstrap anything else. And if you look at euros in the digital sphere versus dollars in the digital sphere, they're already like tether euros and tether yuan and all these other things. And there's no volume there. There's no market cap. No one's using them. There's no trading pairs. It, so it's like almost 100% dominance on, you know, stable coin dollars versus stable coin any other unit. So uh, I don't think that that's going to change. And uh, honestly, I, I already I think that dollars have already won the, that kind of like digital fiat realm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, I, I, I really hope uh, the, the Chinese kind of Belt and Road Initiative absolutely flops. Um, that, that would be the worst thing in the world to see those African countries have to adopt the digital yuan and be subjected to the absolute Orwellian nightmare associated with using the CCP's digital currency. I think the, the European Union's going down the same road of turning into an absolute digital panopticon and oh, you'd hate to be using the digital euro um, because obviously I think they're another country um, that's kind of um, leading this kind of great reset agenda um, and I think they're going to be pretty uh, unfavorable to Bitcoin. I think they've already tried to ban proof of work mining in a couple of those European countries. I think a couple of those European countries have also tried to ban Bitcoin private wallets. So they're already kind of playing their hand that they're going to be the next big continent to kind of be adversarial towards Bitcoin after China. Um, so, yeah, I'm ridiculously bullish on the dollar um, moving forwards. So as funny as that sounds, being bullish on a fiat currency, um, obviously that's against other fiats. And th that kind of gets into the thesis that... Um, you guys did a really good, uh, not, not just blowing smoke up your ass, I, 
that interview you did with Tom Luongo was is really really fascinating. How he kind of breaks down the European Union and the whole Davos crew and the the Great Reset. I'd encourage everybody to go and watch that because that's a really really interesting interview that you guys did on FedWatch. But that kind of gets into this debate of uh, the US dollar trying to. Um, go up against all of these other digital currencies and kind of the the geopolitics behind it all. Um, yeah, I, I I think that was a bit of a tangent. I'm a bit lost, but bullish on the dollar. Totally agree. Tom Luongo is a really interesting uh, cat, and I'm excited to get him on more often. Um, and, you know, obviously, there's just so many great thinkers that are like, trying to figure out what's happening with the monetary system. And one of the big things I want to just point out to people is that in the fiat monetary system, not even the Fed understand what's happening in the monetary system. And then on the flip side, in the Bitcoin monetary system, we have like 19-year-olds with on-chain analysis who like understand very, very deeply what's going on in the ecosystem. So um, it's really hard to like kind of tease out what's happening in the grand scheme of things. Um, but, you know, as the dust settles, you know, Luke and I think that it's going to become really effing obvious that, you know, Bitcoin is the answer here. And again, that's where you start seeing the, the L up um, to the to those next price levels or as Tina likes to say, gapping up. Uh, let two folks onto the stage. We got Pub Lord and we got a man, Terrence. How's it going, y'all? Welcome. So good. So good. Hey, fuck. It's cool to be lit up here with Terrence, man. Again, I met him for the first time in Miami last year. Terrence, you're a legend. I love you, man. Likewise. <laughs> hey, something I was going to say. Um, it was funny. I was, I was doing the spaces earlier, and it was like almost a competition of people doing an impersonation of Luke. Like, I've never met anyone as bullish as Luke. And, dude, it was the shittiest Australian accents you ever wanted to hear. That's why I'm up here, to talk about these Australian accents they were trying to throw on Luke. Uh, no, uh, listen, here's what I'll say what's interesting. Um, you know, one thing as, as we move forward, the store value narrative of Bitcoin uh, sailors come out with, to me, the transition will be, damn, from this fiat a fiat as we know it, where you can actually have cash to a CBDC and the race of the world. How in the world are they going to try to tie it all into Bitcoin? They're going to try to tie it all in. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's backed by Bitcoin. There's going to be so much uh, disinformation out there because Bitcoin will it, it truly to, is a store of value, okay? You can take loans against it in the future. You, not, you do not get rid of this asset, but what are you guys' thoughts on how they will try to tie CBDCs into the value of Bitcoin? I, I'm not sure. Like, I, I think they're probably going to try and peg their CBDCs to Bitcoin um, in the transitionary uh, period. I think, um, I, I think Gresham's law will just play out eventually, though. Uh, eventually, people are only going to use the CBDCs for medium of exchange purposes, and I think they're going to. Uh, continue embarking on more and more speculative attacks um, on the CBDCs if they can and the fiat and they're going to, I think naturally um, you're just going to see probably central banks capitulate and just move to a full Bitcoin standard as their local CBDC continues to hyperinflate and 
um, become more and more worthless when comparing it with the superior money in Bitcoin. Yeah, but they, who are you talking about? Are you talking about the EU or the US? Because I think that plays out very differently because the EU's intentions are essentially to basically starve out all the countries in Europe, have them hyperinflate as more repo facilities open up, and that sends dollar liquidity back into basically a Fed account for them to gain yield. And so that I'm like, I'm talking euro dollars, of course. And so as that happens, it's kind of like the same thing the IMF does to LDCs or at least developed countries. They make them, force them to hyperinflate their currency. And what's essentially going to happen is that that's going to happen in every European country. And then they'll become dependent on an ECB, European Central Bank, Central Bank Digital Currency. And so I don't think that's the same route that the U.S. takes because they have a, you know, central banking cartel led by the Federal Reserve or Jerome Powell, who's beholden to his shareholders, which are like the member banks within the United States itself. And so the whole EU things, central bank digital currency, is trying to undercut that Federal Reserve banking cartel. And I think, you know, trying to dry up dollar liquidity in the rest of the world is just a way to make the dollar stronger. And then everyone will kind of have capital flight out of the EU and into first, I guess, the dollar or Bitcoin first. But then there goes that Bitcoin dollar milkshake theory that I'm very stoked if that comes out. But that essentially is going to strengthen the dollar. So basically, you have EU globalists versus American federal banking cartel, kind of nationalist, but globalists. And essentially, the latter kind of all, all the is just came out. I know. It's. I feel like it, I'm Alex Jones up here, but I don't know, dude. No, but like the whole Davos thing, and like, gotta take some credit again that to uh, Luke's attention. But oh my god, I actually had Tom Luongo on my show back in September, and it just blew my fucking mind. And ever since then, I've just been down this rabbit hole so hard. But everything he's saying so far makes sense. But again, like. You know, none of this stuff is original. Like he even says himself, he sits on the shoulders of giants. But this whole geopolitical strategy world is definitely something to like keep your eye on. Yeah, that I I listened to your um your interview with Tom Luongo like twice. That was great, and that was the first time I'd actually heard a clear explanation of who Davos Man actually is and why the U.S. is actually kind of going up against the Great Reset. So. That, yeah. that kind of makes a lot of puzzle pieces kind of fit together in the in the the jigsaw puzzle that is macro and geopolitics and this really wild world world we're living in. And it doesn't even have to get all conspiratorial, like oh, who are these families? Those the Rothschilds or neocons? Like, essentially, it doesn't matter. Like, ever since the history of forever, you've had factions, families who are going for this power grab, and that's just human. But the beautiful thing is that. Bitcoin just brings that back to ground zero, and that's essentially why they are going to fail because central planning always Bitcoin fails, as reset. it always does. Exactly. Although, is Grace is the Great Reset better branding than uh, Greatest Wealth Transfer in Human History? Um, I, th- I think I like Greatest Wealth Transfer in Human History better. I like Have Fun Not Staying Poor. Fam, where do we take this? D plus plus, welcome. How's it going, my girl? Welcome. Um, I love having Luke here on stage talking about Bitcoin because I think he's like the only person that's as bullish as me on the price. <laughs> like it's I nice thought, to meet fellow bulls. 
<laughs> Come on. Yes, I mean, My name's 37 Sats. <laughs> 37 Sats. Generation Wealth. That's all it takes. 37 Sats? <laughs> I don't, I, I, sorry, I don't, I don't get the reference. I mean, so I see that's your... you're just not bullish enough. You're just not bullish enough. Well, I can see it. that's obviously your handle, but if you could explain, sir, that would be helpful. I'm missing out on this meme. But maybe not. But anyway, sure. I think I think for me, oh, are you going to explain it? Uh, no, you, you go and then I'll explain it later. Oh, well, I think for me, it's just like Bitcoin going up. And I like that you mentioned the L curve. I was saying J curve, but I guess same thing, right? Just up forever, Laura. Um, it's just a matter of time until people realize that there can never be more of this thing so are they going to realize that next year the following year the following cycle um i don't know but when that happens it is going up forever and i think it can have the potential to just kind of go up extraordinarily fast um as soon as people realize that this is actually fixed and once that kind of information propagates through the market then you're going to see you know double digit millions and then um and from there of course we're going to see maybe the purchasing power of the Bitcoin not potentially exceed, you know, hundreds of millions USD, but the price will be, you know, denominated in hundreds of millions, trillions, whatever in dollars, because, um, you know, people will just be buying as much of this stuff as they possibly can. So whether that happens next year or in five years, I have no idea, but I think when it does happen, it's going to happen very fast. Uh, I love I love talking about Jacobs. I, I think we were having this conversation in a room the other day, D, with a bunch of shit coiners, and we were talking about the concept of J curve and super cycles, and they, I think they honestly thought we were fucking nuts. So I think it was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, I think they're just uh, bears. Too bears. All, all shit coiners are just Bitcoin bears. That's what I've learned. And Jimmy, yeah, I, I, it's 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 really difficult to know when it's going to happen, but it feels like it's going to happen. And for me, it feels like it's going to happen in the next 24 months. And that's really conservative. I think the, the metric I keep looking at is just coins on exchanges. Uh, since March of 2020, 33% of the uh, available coins for sale on exchanges have just de been depleted and they've moved to the hands of long-term holders who, because you because you can see everything on the blockchain, have a history of not selling Bitcoin. I think that's really bullish. And that kind of ties into the earlier point we were talking about, just the transparency on a Bitcoin system. You can see all these things happening on the Bitcoin blockchain. So you can kind of, you can you have a, you have an open book into the next financial system. It's, it's really bullish and it's, it's great to watch it all unfold. I agree. Again, I completely agree. And it's uh, the difference between the fiat system and the Bitcoin system is uh, it's, it's night and day. It's a complete 180. And into the 37 stats thing. Uh, so I, I put out a tweet that anyone who thinks that uh, Bitcoin's block reward won't be lucrative or won't be enough to support the network in 100 years is a bear. And then uh, Dylan LeClaire looked up what the block reward was in 100 years, and it's 37 sats. So I've just uh, I've just ran with it since. So uh, really, I just wanted to push people to start thinking of like, you know, we have no idea what the world looks like on a Bitcoin standard. We have no idea like how the incentives play out. Like we have no idea like how much energy we'll be willing to leverage and how much energy we have access to in order to leverage uh, it 
in order to acquire sats in a hundred years. And I think we have no idea what the world's going to look like in a hundred years. In like uh, 1901 or 1910, if you would ask anyone, you know, even the most intelligent people, what the world would look like in 2010, like I guarantee you all of them would have been way off on uh, how far we would have come. So uh, I just think that we need to start thinking very, very cosmic when it comes to Bitcoin and, you know, 37 sats, generational wealth, you can get that for uh, less than a cent these days. So um, pretty good trade still on the table. I, I've been looking at your new handle for, for ages now, and I've been wondering. I was, I was a little bit too embarrassed to ask. I was thinking, now oh, is this another inside joke, like 6.15, that I just don't quite understand yet? Um, but that, that, that's It's awesome. the opposite of 6.15. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, I, I definitely agree with the, the concept. Most people, uh, I think all of us, it's really hard to conceptualize what the world's going to look like in 20 years from now. I think in the early 1990s, if you had to tell people that everything, you're going to go through this digital revolution where you're talking to people on Zoom face-to-face on the other side of the world in 20 years' time, they would have slapped you in the face and called you goddamn crazy. Um, and I think Bitcoin is the exact same thing. It's going to be really mind-bending and just kind of mind-altering to kind of think about where the world's going to be in 20 years. Um, I, I think I, I think I said that in one of my other pieces. I think in the, the next five years are probably going to be the most consequential years in human history. And it sounds like hyperbole, uh, hyperbole. Fuck, I can't even talk. It sounds, it sounds, uh, para- it sounds like I'm exaggerating, but. I, I really, I really don't think so. I think um, you, you're watching all of these cycles converge and unwind together. So you're watching the Bitcoin super cycle meeting the unwinding of the 75-year long-term debt cycle, uh, which is also meeting the unwinding of the 90-year fourth turning cycle. Um, you're you're watching the unwinding of a 50-year technological cycle in the Kardashev. Uh, 50-year wave, um, and then what was the other one? Oh, you're also watching uh, the inflection point of a 250-year revolutionary cycle. So every 250 years, the world goes through a revolution, and you're, like, you're watching all of these four and five cycles all converge and unwind here in the 2020s together, which we've never seen before in human history. And I, I think that's why um, the next five years in particular probably have the potential to be the most consequential in human history. Okay, so I'm so bearish. Um, oh my God, I can't believe it. I thought that I was like the craziest Bitcoin bull in the world until I... Um, had this conversation with you guys today. So help me kind of wrap my head around this. So I like to think about um, what is the total addressable market for Bitcoin, right? And that's all of the wealth of the world. So is that several hundred trillion? Is that one quadrillion? Is that two quadrillion? Um, I don't know. Let's say it's one quadrillion. If it is, then that brings us to 50 million USD Bitcoin. But I think the 37 sats thing is kind of like fucking with my head because what I'm thinking about is in a hundred years, the economy of the world will have expanded several percent per year. So, and you guys know way more about this than I do because I'm just a computer engineering nerd. Like I don't understand economics at all. So <laughs> economic, um, the economics of the world are going to drive us. And again, Bitcoin is going to like give us the fuel to be able to create things that we could never have created. It's going to unlock the human potential for us to do things just never before possible. I believe, I believe it's going to bring this incredible renaissance of, 
technology innovation. And I just unlock the key for us to do like crazy insane shit. So um, how much does the economy expand every year? Is it like 5%? Can it, can it expand up to 10% a year? And if that's like, let's say it's 5%, does that mean in a hundred years it would have increased linearly by like 5% times a hundred? So 500%, because if that's the case, if you take that 50 million USD and multiply that by 500 in 100 years, that's 25 billion. So that would mean that the purchasing power in today's dollars of one Bitcoin actually would be in the billions. And that would not be reflective of inflation. Rather, that would be inflective of that would be reflective of actual purchasing power simply because all of the economic activity, economic growth and wealth of the world will have expanded. Am I thinking about this right? Like, do we expand forever, Laura, economically? Or, or is there some kind of cap? Like, I, I'm not an I'm not an economist. I know nothing about this stuff. I'm just a computer nerd. I mean, I would say, and a lot of Bitcoiners would make a lot more eloquent arguments than how I'm just going to explain it right now. But I would say that you are completely right in that, um, you know, theoretically, Bitcoin will create an a ecosystem or a uh, a uh, an economy that is a lot more favorable for growth and increasing a lot of the metrics of a healthy society and a, a healthy market um, than what we currently have with the fiat standard. Uh, so with that assumption in mind, you can assume that growth will actually start picking up again as people start to switch over. And I think that it's going to be really interesting while there's kind of like two systems at once, right? There's going to be like a dying fiat standard and a burgeoning Bitcoin standard and the Bitcoin ecosystem will have growth and the dying fiat standard will be, you know, will, will be, uh, will be shrinking and, and, and it will be dying. So I agree with you. I think that like, again, like if you could imagine the growth that we would have in from 1900s to the two thousands, you know, you, there's no way that you could, ex you, you could have imagined that world and what, uh, you know, how much society will have come in that time. So I think that that's still the case. Uh, we're still equally as ignorant and very, you know, bad at telling, you know, what the world is going to look like even six months from now. So uh, with that, you know, and assuming a lot of growth and Bitcoin being fixed, you know, 37 sats, it's going to it's going to be a lot of money. Lot, you know, I think I think we're going to go into, you know, sub sat territory at that point, you know. So, I, you know, thankfully we can soft fork in millisats and beyond. So uh, there's going to be no problem there. So I, I, I just, my mind is exploding right now, actually having this conversation. I'm having one of those like mind melding moments that I've had many times actually in the past with Bitcoin, where it just kind of like stretches me and cracks me open and overwhelms me with just awe um, thinking about this because it's just not something I've really considered. So just some back of the napkin math again, <laughs> this is crazy. So just some of this back of the napkin math is yielding like 37 sats could be 10,000 USD, 20,000 USD. And yeah, at that point, we really are subdividing Satoshis for everyday purchases. And I always thought that like dollar sat parity was going to be reflective of inflation and not purchasing power um, just to start, which of course is, you know, 100 million USD Bitcoin. But this is far exceeding this you know, dollar sat parity by a lot. And um, it's not reflective of, of actual inflation. It's reflective of purchasing power due to an expanded economy. So um, I want to thank you guys for, for blowing my mind because this is something I'm going to have to like really think and meditate on.
Yeah, that's kind of that's that's the idea. I think uh, that Canute uh, spun home, kind of popularized uh, Bitcoin being the J curve. He, he wasn't joking. Bitcoin will go up forever um, because the world will continue to grow. Uh, I, I hate quoting the GDP metric because I think a lot of the fiat metrics are flawed and we're probably not going to use them on a Bitcoin standard. But it's kind of a good way to conceptualize um, just Bitcoin growing year after year after year by 10, 15, maybe even 20% a year. And um, all of that's going to accrue to Bitcoin. So it, it will go up forever and it'll be so weird. Well, if, if Bitcoin reflects the growth in the economy, that's how Bitcoin goes up forever. It's because not right. Bitcoin's price goes up forever, but everything else, you know, gets cheaper against Bitcoin. Because the economy, theoretically, if we are advancing, the economy should be getting more efficient at making all the stuff. Therefore, we can get it at a cheaper price. And that is should be accurately reflected in our money. Yeah, and that's another thing that it took me a while to wrap my head around is because I've been thinking about 50 million USD Bitcoin or, or 5 million USD Bitcoin. I've been I've been kind of like challenging myself to think about a Bitcoin standard. And we're talking about like the economy in terms of today's wealth on Earth. But it took me a minute to really wrap my head around the fact that when we do get there, um, the price of goods and services and homes is going to be down, right? Because we will have taken the monetization out of these inappropriate asset classes. And so homes are going to be repriced, in my opinion, down to their utility value. So I'm thinking, well, if, if Bitcoin is 5 million USD or 10 million USD, um, what that means is, and again, I'm not included, including inflation, what that means is um, homes have been repriced to be cheaper. <laughs> so, you know, we have more money to spend and things simultaneously are less expensive. I mean, it's, it's just, it's opening up this vision of the future. That's so beautiful. That helps every person on earth. And I'm, I'm really excited for that future. Me too. I, I think um, that kind of gets back to the, one of the last quotes I ended the article with. Um, I'll, I'll try to pull it up because I talk about price a lot and people think I, you know, I oh, just want to get rich, bro. Uh, but I think, uh, the quote goes, let's not get confused here. The price of Bitcoin going parabolic has little to, to do with riches. Bitcoin is not a stock, not an investment, not a trade. It is a revolution. And I think the price of Bitcoin going to $5 million, $10 million, um, it's, it's absolutely useless unless we're actually able to separate money from state for the first time in 5,000 years. Um, I think moving into a digital world, I think it's an absolute imperative that we adopt Bitcoin as the money we use around the world. Otherwise, we're going to be, you know, cattle herded into this absolute digital panopticon um, with this socially credit score back system where we're all using a CBDC, uh, every transaction is surveilled. So I always like to kind of reiterate that or drive that point home. The price of Bitcoin going up, it it's literally i didn't give a fuck about riches or getting rich or anything like that it, it's about it's about separating money from state and you know empowering the sovereign individual and human rights in the digital age yeah and number go up is a signal to the world that bitcoin is working and there's nothing wrong with talking about price it doesn't mean that someone is like selfish or um, greedy if they're talking about price it, it actually is 
very important. It means that this thing is working. And someone in my DMs um, was kind enough to point out that 5% growth annually for 100 years, it's not 100 times 5. It's not 500% after a hundred years. That was what yielded uh, 25 billion USD Bitcoin. Um, I actually was extraordinarily bullish. Um, I thought with that calculation, turns out I was extraordinarily bearish because they were kind enough to point out to me that 5% growth annually, it's not 500%. It's 1.05 raised to the hundredth power, which is um, 130, no, excuse me, 13,000%. So, I mean, Oh my God, <laughs> this thing is, is literally going up forever. Uh, I think beyond what I can even possibly imagine um, with my feeble human mind. Most people human minds can't, can't handle it. We got some new people on stage and uh, we are also uh, kind of hitting the last 30 minutes that we have for the call. But um, we got P, we got the great David Puel, uh, we got Johnny, what is up, y'all? We got Tomer. Welcome to the stage. Yo, yo, yo. Doing great. Doing great. I uh, was just reflecting on what D++ was talking about. It is pretty mind-blowing. I just did some quick moon maths. Someone please correct me if I'm wrong, but was that 113,000% if Bitcoin grows at 5% per year for the next 100 years? Um, someone in my DMs was kind enough to let me know that 5% uh, growth annually is 1.05 raised to the 100th power, um, which according to them is is 13,000% um, growth. I, I could be wrong. I just whipped the calculator out. But that, that means the price of Bitcoin would be worth uh, $72,320,000,000. <laughs> <laughs> sounds about right. That sounds about right. <laughs> I'm dying. I'm dead. You took first we need it. But the thing is, is that first we need a Bitcoin standard to get off of, because right now we're not growing. Fiat, everything is, is contracting. So we need to get off this toxic, low-velocity fiat crap, and we need to get on to a Bitcoin standard so that we, we can actually have growth before we can have these massive gains. So I hope Bitcoiners feel mobilized to fix the world so that way we can make number go up. Hey, what's up? How you doing, sirs and ladies? Um, going back to the point that D++ just made uh, related to to the growth, right? I think we are misperceiving a lot of what is assumed to be growth, especially since the early 20th century and basically the inception of widespread monetary inflation. With We're confusing that with mispricing and mismeasurements pretty much all over. So n not only mispricing as inflated assets, but also as, as mismeasurements of inflation, inflation itself and other factors like GDP. So I think that ultimately for that, um, oh, it's pretty much an exponential growth, much beyond uh, uh, the, the expected J or S curve that would be more of a logarithmic growth in terms of price. I think a lot of that perspective, uh, th that uh, perspective would flatten out um, a lot of the misconceptions we're having in terms of mispriced, mispricing, and mismeasuring of 
pretty much the whole macro economy. I don't know what that would look like in terms of Bitcoin price as a you know main um, signal for Bitcoin as a as a growth pattern. Um, but I do think that it may be less than we expect in the sense that once we actually have a Bitcoin standard, a lot of what we perceived as growth would be, you know, in, within that standard would be shown as just mispricing and mismeasurement. It's extremely hard to measure growth in the current standard. Is that what you're saying? Like, exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, again, like this, this is the main problem is like you go to the Fed and they have no effing idea what's going on. So how the hell does anyone else know? How can an individual actor make good economic calculations, you know, on fiat? I think that is the core of, you know, what's wrong and why we don't have real growth today and such massive misallocation of capital to begin with. Um, and again, you know, kind of going to like, how does Bitcoin go to the moon? It's because we get to a Bitcoin standard and we actually have real growth. And then 30, 37 SAS becomes a thing. I would just say that the only thing I've noticed as I as look back over the history of Bitcoin, Bitcoin's the only honest fucking measurement of growth in the world. It's the only honest thing we've got out there. Yeah, you get something that started at zero dollars, okay, one dollar, five dollars, fifteen, twenty, one hundred. Oh, here we go, one thousand, one thousand, five thousand. Ooh, fuck, look at that, twenty thousand. Oh, we dropped down to fifteen. Bitcoin is the only th the only honest measurement that we have right now, in my mind. That's why I got into this thing, man. I realized, man, this Bitcoin doesn't bullshit with you, man. Honey badger is a real thing. Bitcoin doesn't fuck around. Okay, listen, man. Bitcoin is the only thing that has been honest from its inception, and this is what I love the most about it. Yeah, I'm getting a lot of finger, a lot of. Uh, you know, peace signs up here. Yeah, man. Um, this is why we Bitcoin. This is the most honest view of value we have ever had in our lifetime. That's why it's so fucked up for us. Because we've been lied to for 50 years, man. Since we've been taken off the, the gold standard, we've been lied to. Bitcoin is the, the first time we've ever seen honesty and money. It's crazy. Yeah, and I think that it changes our behavior, too. Um, it doesn't force us to do anything, but it does kind of infect us. And it, for me, has definitely changed me the way I behave, um, almost like it's some kind of <laughs> alien DNA. Um, but it, it makes us more honest. It changes our incentives. And I think in a fiat world, like, definitely, I think lying, cheating, and stealing and being narcissistic is very commonplace and it doesn't really matter if someone is successful if they have done these things as long as they're successful you know they get applauded but i think in a bitcoin world we're just going to be more honest people tomar jump in here hey I, i've only been in the room for about 10 15 minutes uh but everyone's talking about all this future stuff and i i love to think about this stuff i, I like to write about some of this stuff too and uh, I think at some point we just stop worrying about uh, this price in dollars and not just because we let go of the dollar and, and there's Bitcoin there. It, we, we really start stop thinking about all the things that money can buy that are measured in economic growth 
and we start realizing a lot of the things that money can't buy, which is what the last few topics have been about. Like money can't buy honesty and it can't buy integrity and can't buy friends. Um, but when you live under a Bitcoin standard, when you subscribe to honest money, which I think is the point that Publord was making, money that tells the truth that isn't that is that treats everyone equally, that doesn't that the rules don't change, it becomes easier to attain all all of these things. Like I, I don't even know. I've written about so many of these things, and I, I want to share like six or seven of the things that I, I've written. But like just that point is, I've, I've written one thing called "Rich or Poor Bitcoiners Have What Money Can't Buy," uh, and it explains why already today, Bitcoiners have those things: intelligence, integrity, friends um, that you that seems so scarce in the world and you don't have to pay for you don't have to pay for them with bitcoin or dollars you pay for you earn them through the study of bitcoin and through the choice to become a bitcoiner uh which is really cool because that's something that's in the present day if you want to think about what might things look like over the course of the next hundred years which is what d plus plus was talking about please watch the movie that i made uh bitcoin is generational wealth uh and watch the last 10 minutes of it when we start looking at how we might live our lives uh, in the future. And if you want to go out a million or two million years, uh, I wrote I wrote a fiction story called Moving Heaven and Earth, uh, which speaks more to what mankind might be able to achieve over that period of time. And I, there's lots of stuff that I have to think about this. And it's, it's kind of like, how do you let go and just appreciate where this stuff is headed and so much of this is we're going to live in peace and harmony not just with each other but with all life on earth and with the earth itself um it's really it's really quite remarkable and it's less about you know what are you going to do if you have let's say you own one whole bitcoin and it becomes worth 17 billion dollars some ridiculous number like somebody was calculating here over the next hundred years or something what do you what are you going to do with that money? Like the billionaires today don't have, they don't know what to do with the money other than try to play God for some of them. It's not about, it's not about how much you can, you can't consume $17 billion worth of goods in your life. It's about something altogether different. And it's a departure from this materialistic, purely material consumptive mindset. It's about achieving goals that we can't even imagine now because we don't have the, energy capacity or the overall general wealth to do it but you know if you if i gave you 17 billion dollars to consume in today's economy and you tried to consume it you'd die of over consumption uh pretty quickly so it's all about something different i see tone has his hands up so i'm just gonna stop at that point tone uh, hey guys big 37 hey tomer d plus plus david wow tenor, sorry <laughs> We're friends with so many people, I can't even name everybody. Humble. Uh, we got a squad. Yeah. Um, hey, I just want to comment real quick on the Bitcoin and the honesty side of it. Now, uh, I spent 10 years on Wall Street before joining the Bitcoin world, which now gets confused with the crypto world. And I, I have a completely different view. Like, if you're in the crypto world, but you're not a Bitcoiner, like, if you're not a pure Bitcoin like I guess they call it maximalist. I prefer shitcoin minimalist. I have a very low like honesty rating on people. Well, like anyone that's into shitcoins, 
well, like the honesty meter just goes way down. And um, I've always said, and people used to get mad at me for years. I was saying from like probably for the last five years, the average person on Wall Street is a lot more honest and ethical than the average person in crypto. And it's not even close. Um, and that's coming, that's a professional opinion, like spending 10 years in that world. And then within a few years in the crypto world, it was obvious that the average Wall Street person is more honest and more ethical. Um, now, um, it, now that world does get into groupthink a little bit and shit kind of goes bad. But I mean, I was at Bear Stearns. No, Bear Stearns had what, um, think 65,000 employees none of us wanted to lose our jobs right like <laughs> it's uh so but it happened during the the doorway crisis so um when, when people say that like bitcoin creates more honesty it specifically means to bitcoin well if you're doing all this other insanity in the crypto space um i i don't have that i i mean i my, my meter goes way down all right i'll stop there I, I get the same kind of readings as well, Tone. I think the Bitcoin maximalists, they're not trying to sell you anything. They're just genuinely trying to help people. Um, like I think a lot of Bitcoiners and especially Bitcoin maximalists could make a fuck ton of money going shilling shit coins to new people who don't understand the difference between altcoins and Bitcoins, but they don't. They choose to, you know, stay Bitcoin and Bitcoin only because Bitcoin is truth. And I think... Um, yeah, I just think I couldn't agree more. The whole altcoin space, it's all about lies. It's all about deception. It's all about LARPing, about being decentralized and suckering in new people into these false hopes of quote unquote a beautiful DeFi future and Web3 is the future and all of this other stuff that's just built on lies and deceptions. Um, the, that's the way I look at it. But um, Terrence, Jeremy, Jeremy, what's going on? Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for having me on. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, to blow you guys' minds a little bit more, uh, D++ especially, we haven't even considered uh, compound interest. Um, I uh, wanted to give you an example of, from a generational wealth standpoint, like Toma was talking about. If This is one instance in, in which if someone has uh, 0.1 of a Bitcoin, which when I did these calculations, Bitcoin was at 68000 If someone has 0.1 of a Bitcoin, at six, that's basically $6,800 worth of Bitcoin. If they were to, over 50 years, save $100 a week, and that were to compound at 25% over 50 years, they would have $2.2 So um, these numbers, although they sound astronomical, math doesn't lie. And the way I look at Bitcoin relative to the conversation that's been had is that Bitcoin is going to be to, for my family as oil was for the Rockefellers. And I truly believe that in my hearts of hearts. Um, I believe that the Bitcoin that I have is not just for me, and um, it's for my whole family. And I believe that for hundreds of years, it will sustain my family like oil has sustained the Rockefellers. Thanks for, thanks for letting me on. Yeah, that's incredible. But um, I want to ask a question because it sounds to me that this is possible as long as Bitcoin exists alongside fiat currencies. Um, but if we do enter a Bitcoin standard, then we're not going to be able to have that kind of uh, yield forever, right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And this is all in fiat terms, unfortunately. But um, it, it's it, the, just just doing the calculations the way I did it at 25%, which I think is 
is um is very conservative um like someone else said earlier in the future we were going to be talking in bitcoin terms and so i may actually try to do some calculations where i actually come up with um, my calculations relative to bitcoin terms but in the grand scheme of things the purchasing power that we'll have in the future for our family is going to be ex is going to be astronomical and and it's hard for for me to even fathom I couldn't agree more. And the opportunities, like right now, it's still so asymmetric. Like a lot of, especially all these commie people, they're kind of like, oh, I've got no money. I have no money. I'm poor. I, I don't even have a job or I work minimum wage. How can I afford to stack Bitcoin? I kind of always say to them, look, I'm sure anyone around the world, even if you're on minimum wage, if you're, if you cut costs and cut the crap and the fiat bullshit out of your life i'm sure anyone even on minimum wage can find ten dollars a day to stack into bitcoin and if you can stack ten dollars a day into bitcoin at today's prices um you got what 365 days in a year that means ten dollars a day you're stacking about three and a half thousand dollars and at today's uh, price of Bitcoin, that's like 5 million Satoshis. And I think on a Bitcoin standard, I, I, I obviously think 5 million Satoshis, you're going to be very, very well off. So I think the opportunity is still there, even for those who are um, who think they've got no hope in life, who think they can't save for the future. I'm sure anyone can put $10 a day aside, or even if you're in the developing world, that kind of same math kind of extrapolates down. So you, I'm sure you could stack a dollar a day and you're still going to significantly um, in, uh, increase your standard of, li of living on a Bitcoin standard. I couldn't agree more, Luke. And I'll, I'll say one more thing. Um, people don't realize how precious Satoshis are. And uh, like you said, just buying $10 a week or a dollar a day, the, every Satoshi counts and every Satoshi is precious and i consider a satoshi to be uh precious pieces of time and so the more precious pieces of time satoshis that you can accumulate you're going to be doing yourself and your family sorry i think i i, I pressed mute everyone on accident i apologize that was a fat finger right there guys I think uh, I got everything that needed to be said. Thanks for letting me on. I appreciate it. See you, Jeremy. Sorry again, fam. All right, Terrence, I see you raising your hand, man. Jump in here. And then, yeah, Tom, sure. you can have the mic next. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry, I'm driving. Uh, so real quick, um, I thought that the compounding thing that where D++ we saw her mind get blown in real time. And I can tell you, as someone who spent hundreds Sorry, someone who spent you. hundreds of hours with her. Yeah, sorry. As someone who spent hundreds of hours with her on Clubhouse, she does not get her mind blown easily. She's usually the one blowing other people's mind. But I want to go back to that because I think that to kind of summarize and distill it for the audience and folks, Sorry, and folks like myself, um, basically, I think one thing we could highlight a little more is innovation. Well, innovation will improve 
innovation will improve because there will be less malinvestment and more concentration more concentration of both capital and resources and labor towards the best towards the uh, best projects. So that will help increase innovation, which will increase growth. Um, so that's going to be really good for Bitcoin. As Bitcoin hyper-Bitcoinization hyper happens, it's not going to happen evenly, right? And there are different uh, areas of the world that are increasingly adopting Bitcoin and other areas are going to be slower to adopt. But the ones that will be kind of sort of the next sort of, to use a fiat kind of mindset, the Silicon Valley type of, um, uh, maybe it's Austin or whatever, a place where it's a Bitcoin heaven, so to speak, where there's a lot of innovation going on. No, less malinvestment, people are using the Bitcoin standard at some level. That's where, that's, that's what's going to drive and pull up the rest of the world to uh, achieve more growth, and that's going to cause uh, Bitcoin's price. It's not just the debasement of the U.S. dollar and inflation, but it's also the growth and improvement in innovation that's going to make um, each Bitcoin much, much more valuable than any of us think, I think. Yeah, those are... Those are good points, Terrence, but uh, I just want to comment real quick on what Jeremy said uh, when you mentioned that, like, the wealth from uh, Bitcoin for your family would be similar, like the Rockefellers uh, for the oil industry and, like, the Bush family and stuff. And I've talked about the commonality between oil and Bitcoin in my, on my YouTube channel and presentations for a long time, and the similarity is incredible. Uh like oil back in the 1800s like 18 even 1880 for example uh you bought a piece of land in texas you started digging on that land because you wanted it for farmland and a bunch of black goo came out uh that land's ruined basically like it was actually the worst possible thing to find under your land is oil and then suddenly there is a use case for oil, and it becomes the greatest possible thing uh, you can discover. Uh, that's another, uh, just like Bitcoin in its very early days, that was a negative asset. Like in, the, in 2009, it would cost you money to acquire Bitcoin. It had no value. You couldn't resell it. So Bitcoin was actually negative uh, to you holding it. Uh, same thing with early days of oil until use cases started to come up. And now it's been 100 years. The use cases for oil are still kind of coming up. Um, now, we've technology has made it much easier to acquire oil because and all that stuff about peak oil that's supposed to take place in like the 70s and then 80s. And then I have a geology degree. So I remember studying that. And uh, eventually I grew out of all that nonsense they teach you in liberal schools where there is no peak oil. There's a shit ton of it in the ground. It's not a limited resource like they always claim that it is. There's a lot of it out there still um, in different places, but it's there. Uh, and the world is trying to get people to use less oil. And look what's happening. The oil price is skyrocketing because the government is doing stupid stuff to prevent people from using oil. And uh, it's just destroying society. Like You can't get away from it. The world is not getting away from oil for like at least another 50 years. It's not going anywhere. Um, so, but unlike oil, Bitcoin is finite. So it's, it's, really, it's, it's such a unique similarity. It's incredible. 
All right, y'all. Um, we're getting to that point where we needed to wrap it up. Um, so I'm going to do something wild and crazy and give everyone a shot at a last word before we wrap it up. Uh, Tone and Terrence, I'll take uh, your two last comments as your last words. So thank you guys so much for, for joining the chat. This was a great conversation. And before we get into our final comments, I just want to thank Luke for writing an incredible article and for uh, sitting here for hours kind of breaking these uh, cosmic thoughts out. Um, but let's go to Johnny. Johnny, one second, one second. I just saw the title of this group, actually. Can I just answer that in like two sentences? Yeah, go for it. Um, I don't think this is the last and final cycle, um, mostly because people believe that pictures of like monkeys and, uh, uh, and, and other NFTs are worth millions of dollars. So no, uh, there will be one more big crash that takes all that nonsense down with it. And maybe the next cycle will be the last one. Thank you, Tevin. And uh, there's a lot of logic there, and I, I tend to agree with some of that logic. Johnny, what's up? What is your first and last word, my man? Uh, shit, man, you're putting me on the spot. I kind of checked out for the past, like, 20 minutes doing some uh, spreadsheet math on uh, global adoption rate and people accepting Bitcoin as payment. Because I, th I think in all the stuff we talk about, it's all really cool. Everybody likes to talk about, you know, that that exponential growth and and price action that shit's really cool but like how many people are actually utilizing this i think one of the best metrics to look at is how many people are accepting their pay in bitcoin and i ran like some super conservative numbers and just in the u.s uh at in 2025 if 0.1 of all wages are paid in bitcoin that's like 11 billion dollars just in the united states and that's like the most conservative numbers. So I, and my, my, my original question was going to be, you know, when does, when does everybody think or just somebody here think that every single American, speaking of in American terms, knows somebody else who's paid exclusively in Bitcoin? Five years. I, I wouldn't disagree. I wouldn't disagree in that. And I mean, my quick math here says that's about right. Luke. This is your space. What's your take on, on this? I know that you're bullish. Yeah, I, ridiculously bullish. Recently, what did we watch? We watched Mayor FOMO. Uh, what was it? Uh, the New York man, the Miami man, they're all tripping over themselves to announce that they wanted to get paid in Bitcoin. So, And obviously, you're watching sports stars every other week come out and uh, say they want to get paid in Bitcoin. So if I was an over-under over man, I'd probably take the under on five years. Um, everything just feels like it's escalating and I think if Bitcoin does something weird with the price action in the next 12 to 24 months like I think it will um, I think more and more people will want to get paid in Bitcoin Alright, let's go to Tomer Tomer, your hand is up, what's your last word? Okay, I just got two seconds everyone's talking about how rich they're going to be with Bitcoin, I'd ask you I guess two questions, if you were that rich what would you do with all that money and then ask yourself can I already do that? That's it. Dropping a bomb. Let's go. You can live your best life today. I agree. Money doesn't really make that much of a difference, although it does help, and uh, that's why we keep sacking. Pub Lord, what's your last word? Oh, with that question, yeah, I got to jump in. I'll tell you, I wouldn't change a fucking thing. Guess what I get to do all day? When I'm doing my little fiat mining, I have a few beers, 
have a few people come over, hang out. We talk about Bitcoin in spaces, man. It's goddamn beautiful. Oh, by the way, yeah, shameless plug, tomorrow, yeah, 2 p.m. Eastern, we got like Jeff Booth and Greg Foss stopping by. So everyone, you got nothing else going on? Swing on by, man. We're going to have them on there, have a few drinks, and talk Bitcoin. I'll be sitting a reminder for that one. Let's go, puppy. I love your spaces and your live streams. You, you and uh, the gang, they put on. you guys put on a great show, so I appreciate y'all. Phil, what's up, my man? You've been quiet. What's your last word? Yeah, everyone's trying to make sense of what's going on in the world. And at the end of the day, you might just give up and just keep stacking and be helpful. And at the end of the day, that's kind of all you can do. Because as I mentioned, central planning always fails. And the best you can do is just plan your life accordingly to protect yourself and the ones you love. And just keep stacking and be helpful. That's about it. Preach. I think we uh, we have D plus plus David and Luke. Hopefully, I'm not missing anyone. Um, let's go with you, D plus plus. I'm glad I could blow your mind. I- I'm very confident <laughs> that you are quite bullish. So uh, don't worry. Uh, what's your last word? Oh yeah, I thought I was bullish until tonight, and I've got a lot to think about. I'm going to go do my little sauna that I do every night and just meditate on this expansion of my consciousness. But um, I just want to just say that I'm really grateful for Austin because I did make my way down here, and I'm just so grateful for this community. Um, I like what Tomer said about how we we earn these friends when we become Bitcoiners, and it's really true. And um, what's so cool about Bitcoin is that I've been using it as a medium of exchange here in Austin, and I've been going to restaurants that accept Bitcoin, and I didn't think that I could do that until I went down to El Salvador, which I haven't done yet. So I'm very grateful for this app. It's called Oshi, O-S-H-I. And um, I don't know, 37 sats, if you're in Nashville or what, but if you can get some of those people to accept Oshi, uh, the Bitcoiners can pay in Bitcoin using Lightning, and um, you can create these really cool offers in Oshi. So I've just been like in heaven, you know, spending Bitcoin and living on a Bitcoin standard. So I wanted to let you guys know that, and I'm very grateful for all of you. I'm not in Nashville yet, but I know that all the Austonians, including Michael of Oshi, were in Nashville last night raging and, and trying to uh, take Nashville to the next level. So uh, I'll be there in, in like six months, and our and our good friend P is already, you know, breaking yeah, down so and, and, and taking I, over. I love that they're on it. Um, I didn't know that they were, you know, Oshi pilling everyone already. But um, what I did know is they were going to that meetup, and I just Googled it. It's like 13 hours without stopping to Nashville, and they drove out there for like one day to go to a Bitcoin meetup. Uh, Bitcoiners are are pretty intense. I love it. Yeah, I'm doing it. Hey, if you guys have some of those, uh, send them to me. I'm going to a bunch of those in like January and February. I've planned a bunch of travel. So if people have Bitcoin events, DM me and I'll try and show up if you're in the U.S. Not happening. Not in the All right. Let's go to David. David, thanks again for coming on. What's your last word? Uh, well, trying to answer the, the title question. Uh, I don't think it's in its last cycle, partly uh, because of what Tone mentioned. I do agree with that. Uh, I do also see human nature in every Bitcoin cycle. 
despite that, you know, the asset may be much more efficient and all that stuff. However, sticking more to the present day, you know, the latest correction was 90% driven by over leverage in the market, not, you know, fundamental or the inner, inner economics of, of Bitcoin. Right now, the pattern of the liquidity Bitcoin is seeing is historical. Not even in, in 2011, we, we, we saw this, you know, amount of holding. I'm guessing a lot of that has to do with the um, smarter new money that came in after COVID. You know, uh, they're much, they think in longer terms. And that compounds with, you know, the OG wells that we've been seeing from, you know, early times of Bitcoin. Um, I do notice one uh, divergence that is not worrisome, but it's interesting in the sense, and I've been discussing this with um, since last week, specifically with a lot of on-chain guys uh, in, in private conversations we had. The magnitude in a lot of on-chain metrics like um, active addresses, transaction count, all that stuff, more, more metrics uh, respective of health of the network as opposed to, you know, relative value or trading signal metrics. They don't have as much magnitude as we've seen in, in previous, let's say, exuberant phases of Bitcoin, specifically 2013 and 17. Um, so that may allow for, instead of those, you know, enormous bubbles that we end up seeing at the end of every cycle, um, we may see a, a, a much healthier price action if you combine it with the liquidity, uh, which would be exceedingly positive long term, right? Um, you know, having the trade-off would be we don't we wouldn't have those amazing pumps into end of every four years or so, but it, it may um, uh, the end result of that is not having such severe bear markets. So maybe in that way, to answer your question, it may be the last cycle. Um, because we wouldn't be that exuberant going forward. But, you know, just excited to see what comes up. Thanks for having me. Thank you, David. And uh, I think it's perfect that you, you mentioned that as we're going back to Luke, who thinks that things are just about to get crazy. So, Luke, uh, I'll give you the floor for uh, maybe uh, how you want to close it out in your last word. Yeah, that's actually a really good point, David. Uh, that's kind of the whole thesis behind the super cycle. Um, it's not going to be the people trading shit coins and JPEGs that are going to trigger a bull market. Uh, it's not going to be the masses. It's going to be the big money. Uh, that kind of ties into Alex uh, Svetsky's whole thesis about the remnant. Uh, it's going to be the big money. It's going to be the remnant that trigger hyperbitcoinization or a super cycle and the masses that don't know what's going on and flipping JPEGs and shit coins. They're just, they're just going to chase the ever-rising price of Bitcoin. Um, and I think, like you said, uh, the remnant or the smart money, the smart people, they're stacking Bitcoin and coins are leaving exchanges. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I suppose that's a good way to kind of round things out. I don't know what's going to happen uh, exactly, but, you know, I'm open to hearing all ideas. Please, if you think I'm crazy, tell me. If you think I've missed something, please tell me. I, I'm just a fucking pleb trying to learn more about Bitcoin. And yeah, I mean, it's an honor to be talking to a, a lot of people here on stage who I've learned a lot from over the past couple of years. It's uh, kind of surreal and it, it's really fun to talk Bitcoin with a bunch of Bitcoiners. Um, so uh, thanks for having me, CK. 
Uh, remember, plebs, this has nothing to do about price. This is about separating money from state. Um, and I, I think it's an absolute imperative that we adopt Bitcoin as sound money in the digital age. Amen. All right, y'all. This is a great conversation. We got cosmic. We got into the numbers. We talked about Bitcoin price and adoption. We hit on it all. If you want to find a recording, if you jumped in late, you can go over to Bitcoin Spaces Live on your podcast app. Uh, that's where all of our spaces are recorded and posted. Uh, so this should be there uh, by uh, next week. And uh, this was also recorded natively on uh, Twitter. So uh, if you are, I think it's only available on mobile, but if you're on mobile, uh, you can listen back to the entire conversation on Twitter too. So uh, check all that out. Check out the Bitcoin 2022 conference. Check out the deep dive from Bitcoin Magazine and follow all of these fantastic people on stage, including Luke. All right, fam. Good night and have a good one. Well, there you have it, guys. Uh, I hope you're feeling bullish. Um, I think a lot of people uh, are really underestimating how Bitcoin's going to get adopted, and that's kind of the premise for, for that article. So uh, a little bit of housekeeping, I suppose. If you like the video, feel free to like uh, the video on YouTube. If you're listening to this video on the Fix the Money, Fix the World YouTube channel, um, feel free to kind of transition over onto the Bitcoin Made Simple uh, YouTube channel and podcasting platform. That's where I'm releasing um, all of my regular content. If you've been wondering why I haven't posted to the uh, to this channel um, for the past four to five months, it's because uh, you missed the memo and you missed the interview I did four or five months ago when I kind of said, hey, look, um, everything's getting posted over to the Bitcoin Made Simple podcasting platform. So head over there and subscribe to that one. Um, leave me a comment um, in the comment section down below if you want me to do um, a, a, a kind of educational video on this topic and I can walk through and maybe do a YouTube video on it, break down all the charts um, that I used in the article. Um, so, you know, I hope you enjoyed this one. Um, massive thank you again uh, for the show sponsors who make these podcasts um, doable. So I'll see you in the next one, guys. Um, have a good day.